That kind of didn't work, did it? I said, what hap- what's happened? You guys said hello, and I said, what's, what's going on? And, and so anyway, so are you guys doing well today? Good, good. Really good to be with you guys uh, today. Um, I, we've had a great day so far. Really, really awesome worship experience. Thanks to our band. Uh, those guys always do a phenomenal job. Um, I'm not biased, but I think they're by far easy, easily the best in, in, in our city and probably probably our state and probably all the states, um, but I'm biased. I, I understand that. Always good to have Dakota back with us. Dakota, great job this morning. Um, let, me, let me just start this out by saying you're an awesome church, and it is so awesome to be a part of this journey with you. I love you. I really, really do love you, and we have an amazing story that uh, I believe God's still writing, and uh, it is, it's great to be a part of it with you. So I love you, appreciate you guys so much. We are in week three, um, week three of a series called Any Given Sunday, and uh, I think it's gone really, really well. I think it's been something I know God's been, been using to teach me and to bring us back to a, uh, uh, a clarity, um, kind of almost reinstating sort of the sacredness of this experience, this Sunday morning experience. We said in week, week one, we said we saw in Scripture where, where God uh, wants us to show up hungry, like expecting that on any given Sunday He could do the, uh, the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the, the incredible things. And uh, I, I started the very first week out and shared kind of my story 20-plus years ago in a church service where... Like where all of a sudden I'm sitting somewhere near the back and God just pricked my heart. And I knew that I felt God leading me at that moment. This is a mile marker in my life for me to go into full-time like church work, ministry, 20-some years ago. And here I am today. So in this series, we're, we're just saying that on any given Sunday, God could do something awesome. We, we learned that where two or three are gathered together, there God's with them. Now, God's with us all the time, right? God sees everything. God's with us. You're a Christ follower. He's your, your, your dad. He's your father, and he's with you everywhere you go all the time. But there's just something about this experience when we're together that God wants us to show up with the expectation that, and he wants to work in our lives. He really wants to do something spectacular. And it's not every time, all the time, exactly the same but he wants us to come hungry. In fact, let me show you this scripture. It says that in uh, James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God wants us to show up ready and anticipate him doing something profound in our lives. And I just want to say that in six years of experience, a part of this church on any given Sunday, we have had some amazing experiences. On any given Sunday, we have had and seen people who have had a lost cause marriage that have been reunited and remarried. We have empirical evidence of that in this church. We have evidence in this church that on any given Sunday, somebody shows up and they're just completely tied to an addiction they've had for years and God's broken that addiction. We've got evidence of that. We've got people that have had health issues, stuff, and God's just like taking care of that issue. I had a cancer and I don't have cancer anymore. We've got evidence of God doing stuff like that. 
We've got evidence, lots and lots and lots of evidence, lots of evidence of people who showed up far from God, like disconnected, disconnected. Like, I don't even know if I buy any of this, this stuff. God shows up in someone's heart and life. They bow the knee. They say, God, I'm going to trust my life with you. And they'll go from darkness to life. They, they, they walk away from here with salvation. I know God's my Savior. I'm going to be with him for all of eternity in heaven. We've got boatloads of evidence of people that have experienced that and they have seen tremendous growth in their life. So on any given Sunday, any given Sunday, God, God can do the amazing in our lives. But, here's the deal, here's the big but, but he doesn't owe us that experience by default of our attendance. Just showing up like, all right, I'm going to check it off my list. Woo-woo, I made it to church today, got a brownie point. Did the preacher see me? Did, you know, did anybody notice I was in church? I'm just going to have a clean conscience type thing. No, no, here's the deal. God, God wants us to come longing for him. And when we do, like that verse said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When our faith connects with God's faithfulness, stuff happens. God wants to show off in your life. He wants to show off to you to grow your faith. God wants to build people of faith. And so we've been saying in this series with our, you know, kind of modern style of, you know, new modern church where, you know, the preacher shows up, he's got his shirt, you know, hanging out, you guys, you know, shorts and hats and I've got brand new Nike tennis shoes on today. I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, it's strategic. Um, I, I wore these, the first time I ever wore tennis shoes to church and it feels awesome, by the way. I don't know what I've been missing out on, but I do now. Um, and, I, and I'm completely okay with doing this today. I, I, I called my wife and asked her for permission, so we're, I'm all good. So. And this, is, this was strategic. I, I wanted to make sure those of you that wear tennis shoes know that I approve of that. So that's, that's why I have them on today. So anyway, so it feels good. I, I wondered, you know, this guy in the front row, he's got tennis shoes on. It's good to wear tennis shoes, isn't it? Yeah. Anyways, okay. Um, all, all of our, you know, laid-back approach to church, you know, we got smoke in the room, we got a kicking cool band, all of that, we never want to get lost in understanding that this is a sacred moment, that this is a powerful moment where God can really show up, and God wants to do work in our hearts. You can show up on any given Sunday and walk away from here literally transformed by the power of God. God wants to do that. So today... We talked about come hungry. Last week we talked about come unified. We talked about the value of our church being unified. Last week we, 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 you know, we kind of went through the crowd and we said, how many guys are in your teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? We got in one service in our 80s and we had a couple people that waved and said in their 80s. And I said, do you like our, our electric guitar? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, awesome. And, and, I, and I just thought, you know, that was a beautiful picture of somebody giving up something that's not so important because that, that was, that's not how church might have been when, if and when they went to church years ago. I mean, we got all this weird, you know, crazy kid stuff, right? And here they're sacrificing what they might could find somewhere else for something they believe is greater. Life change is happening around here. And so we see people like that who are saying, you know what, I can sacrifice something that I'm used to for something more important, and that's unity. That's what unity looks like. Unity is so powerful. We saw last week in Scripture that 
Unity trumps most everything else. Some of the little petty things, you know, you believe this, I believe a little bit about this. There, there's some definite essentials that we ought to stand up and fight for, but there's a lot of petty stuff that people who claim themselves to be Christ followers get lost in and forget something that trumps that, and that's that God wants people to be known as people who are loving and kind and are unified together. We ought to be known as people who don't just quit on each other and give up on each other, that that we would, under all circumstances, we would figure it out, work it out. Why? Because we're Christ followers. we got God in us. So we said unity was, was huge and paramount for the Christ follower and for his church to experience more of God, be unified. And so this week I want to talk to you about one that I, the guy's been really working on me on. This week I want to talk about coming, not hungry, not coming unified, but coming humble. 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 How many of you guys would say you are a humble person? You're a humble person. Yep. Humble people. Good. A lot of you guys humble. I'm just going to admit I am not all that humble. Um, I, I, the, the, when I got married, I realized... I'm not humble. <laughs> you know what? Uh, how many of you guys are married? You begin to realize you weren't all so humble after you got married, right? You realize, gosh, I'm prideful. I love me. <laughs> when you get married, you realize how much you love you, right? Then you have kids, and you see how much time they take, and you're like, but what about my time, right? The older I get, the more kids I've got, I'm not humble. <laughs> I'm not even close to humble. I love me way too much, Far too much, you know? And, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm learning something about myself as, as life goes on. But we see in this passage today how important God says uh, that humility is in our relationship with Him and how vital it is for us to really grow and experience this awesome, on any given Sunday, God could show up and do something awesome in your life. Humility plays a huge role in our experience with or experience apart from God. And so we're going we're to dive into um, the book of Revelation again. Have you guys know that that's like the creepiest, scariest book in the Bible? It's not really, but you just know when you read this thing, you, it's like either, either you really believe in the Bible or you think that the writer was smoking or eating something strange on that island that he was on, right? Because it has a lot of strange imagery in it. But when you, when you really understand kind of the, the premise behind this, man, it's, it's, it's an incredible book. And so John writes this book of Revelation. Two weeks ago, we, we camped out and talked about one of the churches that John was writing to. This week, we're going to look at a, a, another church out of the seven churches, the last church called Laodicea that John, John writes to. And unlike the first church where God kind of gives this compliment sandwich to the church where he says, good job, good job, good job you got to work on this, and then good job, good job, good job, the whole compliment thing. God doesn't give a compliment sandwich here. He comes right in and says, this is where you guys are off, and I want, I want to remind you of this and challenge you, challenge you of this. So this church of Laodicea, um, they were of Greek descent, and uh, so the, 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 the God of their day was the God of Zeus, and that's who they worshipped. They had a lot of Greek mythology, um, this city of Laodicea was known for three things. Um, they were known for being very, very rich, very powerful, and setting the standard for entertainment. Now, 
Let me, I'm going I'm to tell you those again, and I want you to think of what country on our planet um, is, is a lot, sounds like this, all right? So let me say these again, and I'm going to give you a second to think of what country on our planet is, is a little like this, all right? Known for being rich, known for being powerful, and known for setting this, the standard for uh, entertainment. Okay, you guys ponder that, come up with what you think. I'm just going to sit here for just a minute, just give you a chance. All right, I'm not going to hit the next notes too high. America, right? I mean, we, I think there's some, there's some, like, right out of the gate, some instant similarities with, with the writer writing to this group of people with, with the natural drift and tendency that, that plagues everybody American, especially everybody American. We're rich. Whether you think you are or aren't, you're, you're, you're rich in comparison to other places in the world, for sure. Um, we've got power. You know, you, 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 you have the power to choose where you go when you go home today. You have power to choose where you're going to eat. You have power in your house, <laughs> like light bulbs, right? Microwave, microwave ovens, right? So we've got power. And just look at our entertainment. I mean, right now, we're, we're in a series called Any Given Sunday, which kind of gives the idea of football. Oh no, we don't have football right now. But guess what? We have baseball. We have basketball, right? We, we set the stage for entertainment. I mean, uh, yesterday I go downtown and people are running in white garb with paint all over themselves, right? You guys know about the race downtown? What was the race called? I forget. Color Me Rad. I mean, we're not starved for entertainment anywhere in America. There's entertainment everywhere you go, right? So John writes to the city of Laodicea. And God passes on why it's imperative for us to consider this idea of of humility. Why it's so vital, both spiritually in our relationship with God and obviously relationally uh, in our relationships that we have around us every day. So here we go. Revelation chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, great. Find it. Last book in the Bible. It's one of the easiest ones to find. Genesis and Revelation. Two easy books to find. First and the last, all right? Uh, if you don't have your Bible, awesome, no worries. Your guests here today, we're in the book of Revelation, it's a little creepy, but, but I think we'll, we'll uh, be all right, all right? Um, we'll have it up on the screen. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, John writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Here's where God begins to kind of talk about what's going on here. I know your deeds... And here's what I know that you got going on. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. That's not a good thing. You're kind of neither, uh, you know, um, doing anything pertinent over here or doing anything pertinent over here. You're not really fulfilling anything, you know, valuable over here. You're not really, you know, on one side or the other. You're kind of like, you know, says that you are because you're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. And then we get this visual that I think is crazy coming from God, but he gives us this visual, I think, to make a point. You're not hot or cold, and because of that, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It's in the Bible, right? How many of you guys have had a good puke lately? I know I asked it, right? Raise your hand. How many of you had a good puke lately, right? Anybody? 
I mean, this last season's been like puke fest in, in, in Columbus. I mean, they shut down a school. They shut down Calvary School because kids were throwing up. And I know my kids, the schools they attend, you got to go? All right, Just brush your teeth before you come back, okay? Just kidding. Don't anybody stare at him as he walks out, all right? Sorry, buddy. Um, so, I mean, you know, all around this, the city this year, I mean, people were sick. A lot, a lot of the flu bug going around. I just want to say personally, I hate, I hate the flu bug thing. I mean, I would rather die than, than just, just all out, just puke, right? Anybody like that? You just hate it. I mean, I, when it comes to my household, I just want to like, just close shop, all right? Like, just, I, I pray for God to just take me on home. I know that sounds so dramatic, but I am. I'm, I'm a dramatic puker. I mean, I'm dramatic. When I puke, it is so loud that, I mean, my wife's like, baby, we can hear you in the entire house. They all go to the furthest part of the house, and people can hear me. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a wuss when it, I mean, I, I, you know, kind of a wuss when I puke. At first, I want, like my mama used to do, I want her to come tap me on the back as I'm just hugging the toilet bowl, and I want her to put a cold, damp cloth on my neck. My mom used to do that, and so I want my wife to come in and do that, but then I want her to leave me alone, right, because I'm so miserable that I want to be left alone, all right? That's, I'm, I'm a dramatic puker, and it's, I, I hate puking. I hate it. And I just, I just want to say that I, I can't help but grasp or try to grasp how God must feel when he pushes John to pen this, that when his beloved creation falls in love with other stuff more than himself. Like here, here's God, the ultimate daddy, giving us the visual that he gets sick to his stomach like feels so bad, like there's like that eruption about to happen when the people and his kids that he loves with all his heart are forgetting the value that they have in him. And so I'm imagining as God's pushing this and John's writing this, John's thinking, God, they're going to think I'm on this island smoking weird stuff as I pen this, but God's going to put it down because that's how I feel when people drift because I know what's best for them. So, so verse 17, it goes on, and notice, notice things, how things transition here. I'm, this is going bad. You guys aren't doing well. You guys have drifted. I feel like I'm going to puke. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. That's what the Laodiceans would say about themselves. I'm rich. I've got it all. I've acquired wealth. And I don't need a thing. I'm good, God. God, look what we've done. I've got everything sorted out. I've got no major needs, no major dilemmas, no problems. But here's what God says. But you don't realize that you're wretched. Honestly, I mean, without me, you're, you got nothing. You're wretched, pitiful, poor. And if you don't recognize your great, vast need for me, you're blind, and, you know, if it wasn't for me, you'd be naked, right? You don't, you don't have anything apart from me. God's trying to help them grasp this. But they're basically in that moment, they've got all their needs met. Why? Because their power, because their wealth, because they got superstar status going on. And so God says, I counsel you 
to buy from me gold refined in fire, symbolism here, so you can truly become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful bodies, and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. See, something's happening here. God's um, helping them grasp that in this sin-stained gravitational pool away from him always ends up gravitationally going away from God and more towards ourselves. I love me. I love me more than anybody. And I hate that about me. I hate that I love me more than I, than I should be loving anybody else. But the, if we're not careful, when times get good, and I know when times are bad, man, it's easy to get on your knees and beg for God, right? I've been there many times. But when, when times are good, and you got, you got, you know, the bank account's okay right now. You got overage right now. You got the savings account that's being built up again. Job seems normal and good. No crisis going on. Kids are fine. Nobody's hurt. No accidents. No, no major bad dilemmas. Oftentimes, when that's happening, there's just this life tension that is going to be there in our life till the day we die. But there's this tension when things are good for us to not recognize our need for God. Would you say that's true? It is of me. And I, I despise that in me also. When things are good, God, I got it. I, I'm good. I don't need you, God. God recognizes this in, the, in this group of people. And he's trying to help them see, listen, it is a shame and how arrogant, how arrogant we are when we just sort of forget how valuable and vitally important it is for us to be near close to God. So God brings this up. And so the question I just come up with in my head, I'm looking at my life and I want to just ask the trajectory of my life and what my life looks like and what my life stands for. I ask myself the question, I ask us this this morning, what's the declaration of your life look like? If someone had to look at your life, what would your life declare about who you are? Where you desire to go? What, is, what does your life declaration look like? Now, so, some of you would, would walk in and hear a message like this, and you're already kind of feeling beat up. You've you know, made some mistakes, done some stuff, and you're, you come in and you hang your shoulders, and you forget who you are in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ... The, the, you'll love the end of this passage. It's wonderful. For, for those of you who recognize your mess, your sin, your dilemma, the end of this passage is awesome for, for, for us, if you recognize that. Because the end of this, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but you just get this picture of God where he, he smiles at those of us who come in shaming ourselves and feeling like, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy. I've blown it so many times, I can't. And so I want to encourage you, don't ever walk in with your shoulders down thinking God doesn't love you. That's, that's the antithesis of where this ends up this morning. But let me, let, me, let me walk through this. So God says all this. No compliment sandwich here, just coming right in. You're lukewarm. 
You're not hot or cold. You drifted from me, and it makes me sick to my stomach. That's where we're at right now. Right now you're going, God, that's pretty rough. All right, so maybe that's a wake-up. Maybe that's a wake-up for somebody. You've drifted. You need to come back to God. That's kind of where we're at. I know it's tough. All right, so here, and the question is, right now, what's the, de- the, the, the declaration of your life look like? What statement are you making with your direction? Verse 19 goes on and says this. A little bit of transition here. But those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. God sees this church and he gives this harsh rebuke. And then all of a sudden, he begins to turn this thing into, I do that because I love you. And and let me just explain this morning. I think there's a real difference between what we might consider like, hey, we shouldn't judge anybody, versus what God's talking about and saying rebuking here. I think think God uses uh, sin-stained, broken human beings to rebuke other human beings. But I think there's a big difference between that and what we would see in Scripture where Scripture says, thou shalt not, it's not, there's not a thou shalt, excuse me, it's wrong. It says in Scripture, it says, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Judging's above our pay grade. Judging's kind of like this, like judge being the gavel, finality type thing, where so saith God, here's the, here's the statement about you, or here's my judgment for you. God can judge. That's above our pay grade, all right? God doesn't want us to judge anybody. The difference is this idea of rebuking, which God uses us to lovingly rebuke each other, it's not finality like a judge. It's rebuking, and rebuking and love go hand in hand. It would be no different than like the other day when I came home, I walked into my house, and I noticed my nine-year-old son who is really... The easiest kid to raise, he is just a really, really genuine, uh, open-handed, tender-hearted, just really loving boy who's getting older and wants to start testing his mama and wants to, he's becoming a man and doesn't like to be told what to do. And I came into the house and his voice was raised and he was just back-talking his mama and he was mad. And I walked in the house, and I said, oh, no, you didn't, right? I mean, I just came in, and I said, listen. And I pulled him aside. I got on my hands. I got on my, I got on my knees, and I got eye to eye, and I said, J.D., Daddy loves you, but you cannot talk to your mama that way. You cannot talk to your mama that way. She's your mama. And, I, and you know, and I know he's nine. He doesn't grasp everything that I'm saying to him. He's like, and I'm saying, your mama... By default, you can't, you, can't, you can't talk to her that way. She bore you. Like she, you shot out of her. <laughs> JD, she's your mama. You cannot talk to her that way. And we went on about that. And then I, then, I mean, I'm, 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 I want him to know what he's doing. I said, not only is she your mama, but she's my wife. This is my woman. She's my wife. J.D., one day you're going to fall in love with somebody. You're going to have a girlfriend one day. You're going to marry somebody one day. And you're going to give your life to that person. And what if someone, I've given him all these, you know, I think he's just like going, Dad, what in the world are you talking about? 
And I remember we were talking about this, and I'm trying to help him really grasp, you can't do this. You cannot do this, right? So I sent him off to his room. I said, all right, Dad's going to talk to you a little bit later about this. I want you to sit in your room and think about, you can't talk to your mom this way. And so I, I, had, a, I had somewhere to go. I only had about 10 minutes to be home getting ready to leave, and Christy reminded me. She said, don't forget, you, you left J.D. up in his room. I was like, all right, that's right, i got to go back to the room. So I went up there, and I saw him sitting there, and he just had this look of like, man, I just got the rebuke of my life, right? He really, really does not want to disappoint. He, he, really, he really lives to, 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 to not disappoint his daddy. And so I walked upstairs, and my demeanor was completely different. I walked up there, and I didn't have anything else to say to him. All I did was just hug the boy. I just hugged him, and I hugged him, and I hugged him. I kissed him on his cheek. I always rubbed the back of his neck. I always mess his hair up and just feel, I just, just, I touch him all over. Don't tweet that, okay? <laughs> right? Right? I shouldn't have said it. We, would kept, we could have kept going, but all of a sudden I was like, okay, that sounded weird. All right. He's my son. I love him. I love him. And I would do anything for him. And I just know what, what that could look like at 17, right? It's okay, it's cute, you know, nine, but not when you're 17. And so my demeanor completely changed when I, when I, when I came upstairs. I just wanted to love him. I wanted him to know that, man, dad's been there. <laughs> I don't have a mom any longer. She's no longer with us. It's your mama. We love her. And I want you to show her you love her. But all I could do in that moment is just love him. Because he's my boy. I mean, he's, he's like a mini-me. He looks like me. He sounds like me. He's, he's goofy like me. I love my boy. And in the very same way, God gives this rebuke. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And then all of a sudden you see God, God, God shift a little bit here. And I'm going to go into that passage, the end of this passage, but I want, to, I want you to see this. In Proverbs, like this passage, and you're going to see, it says this about this rebuke idea. It says, my son, Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines who? Those he loves. The reason I get on to my son is because I love him. I know without that rebuke, without that correction, where he can go if he doesn't have someone to speak truth into his life. There's a huge difference between judging somebody and coming across as, so saith me, I'm perfect, I'm God, and someone coming in and saying, listen, I want to ask you the question, as your friend, as your mom, as your dad, as your buddy, dude, what are you doing right now? Is this making any sense? Can I offer a suggestion? I'm, I'm nobody in this. I don't have it down together, but because I love you, how are we doing over here? Or that's a huge difference. And can I just say, in our culture today, our culture... We don't, even, we don't even buy that there is a real truth today in our culture. We think we're truth. We think we, the truth starts with us somehow. And somehow we have gotten to this place where, where we have gotten 
so prideful in our culture today that nobody can tell us anything. But Scripture says this, that love and rebuke, they come together. And to deny God's rebuke is to push away God's love. To deny God to rebuke us, to deny God from saying, God, how do you feel about my actions? To deny God access to places in your heart and your life is to deny God's love. And how arrogant would it be for us to think we don't need God's rebuke regularly? I'm just being honest. I need it like every day, multiple times throughout the day. I need, I need the Holy Spirit of God to tap me on the shoulder and say, check your attitude here. Who are you serving right now? It looks a whole lot like this. there's something in this for you in this right now. I need it every day. But it is oftentimes that when we have life going well and there's no major wants, no major needs, that we go, I got it, God. I, I'm good. I, I, money's fine. It's usually how it is. Money's fine. I'm on my merry way. But, but here's where God says to this, this, this church, I know the tension's always going to be there. This is, this is the natural gravitational pull. When life's good, we drift away from God. It's natural. It's our sin nature. It's the, the stain of sin in all of our lives that that's there. So don't, don't shame yourself. I mean, we got the enemy. He does a good enough job on his own to do that for us. But here's, here's, the, here's the ending picture that we get. After that strong rebuke, here's what God says. And I love this. I love this. Don't be hot. I mean, don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. I want to use you. I want, I want to allow your life to, to make sense and to, to, to use your mess, your junk, your imperfection, your flaws, your, your pains, your hurts. I want to use you. I want to grow you. I want to, I want to help you to know me. I want you to experience me greater than ever before. Don't be lukewarm. Let me, let, be hot or cold. I want, I want to do something in your life. And then after all this rebuke, the, the corner turns. And after God shares that and rebukes, and we go, okay, God, I'll put my big boy, big boy pants on today. I'll receive it. I'm going I'm I'm to grow in this area. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to take a step towards what you're saying. Here's what God says. I love this. Verse 20. Here I am. God speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Get the visual. You're in a mess now. Next go around. Or maybe, you're, maybe, maybe your eyes are open that you recognize your need for God. And here's the visual. God wanting relationship with us. The God of the universe wanting to be near in proximity to his creation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door to their heart and their life, what does God say He'll do? I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know what this is? This is a call to come back to God. It's a, it's a cry out from God Himself to come back to Himself. 
How far you've gone does not matter. How low you've been does not matter. That's in the past. Wherever you were at, this is the unconditional. I'm a, I'm a very conditional dad. I recognize it. I mean, I, 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 I shame myself very often for the scars I know I'm leaving with my kids right now. Any parents feel that way? I lost my temper. I raised my voice. I said, quit your whining. Okay, so if I'm whining and I'm not acting like a man, Dad, and you know I'm not being tough right now, but you're a man, you're older and tougher, so I must not measure up. It's a message sometimes. But here's the deal. God says it's not that way. I'm a perfect dad. A perfect, perfect father. You don't measure up, but God loves us conditionally. Or, excuse me. God loves us unconditionally. I'll never measure up, but God does not care because He is the ultimate, loving, sacrificed once and done for me, my life, that He loves me no matter what. And no matter what I do, He loves me. No matter how far I've gone, He's still wanting to be near me. The other day, um, I was having a pity party for myself. I was, I was sharing with a longtime friend just some blues and some bumps and some bruises and some experiences I've been going through. And I was kind of worked up a little bit, shedding a couple of tears. And he goes, he, and, and, I, and, I, and I got to where I was shaming myself. I, I have this default where I'm, I'm overly critical with me. And I don't know if anybody's like that, but I, I get down on myself when I blow it. I get down on myself when I don't measure up. And my buddy asked me, he goes, I know this sounds cheesy, but he goes, if, if Jesus, God, showed up in the flesh right now, God with skin on, and this is what he said, this, this is what's cool about this passage for me today, and he goes, if God showed up with skin on right now, and he knocked at your door, and he said, Jeff, it's, it's, it's Jesus, could I come in? He goes, how would you feel? And I, I wonder if he was trying to see, you know, how wounded I was or what my theology was. He goes, I thought you might think God was mad at you. I said, no. And I started weeping. I just started crying. And I said, no, he, would, he, he, he wouldn't show up with a, a scowl on his face. I, I, I visualized God with a big smile on his face when he saw me. And so what does God look like to you? God's, God, God wants in your life. He wants to be highly connected to you. If he had skin on right now and he was knocking at your door in your worst state, your biggest mistake, your furthest place, your most miserable alone spot, what would God look like? I assure you, the reality of the living God would have a smile on his face. He would open the door. He wouldn't frown at you. He would smile at you. His arms would be wide open. He'd say, I love you. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. 
nothing you can do would cause me to ever not love you. And I was, that was a powerful moment for me. I wasn't even thinking about God in my mess. I was just miserable, not even thinking about God. And here's the message. The message is this. God says, come on, let's shape things up. Get out of that spot. Quit that mess. Leave that, not, not if you're married, but leave that dude. Leave that girl if you're dating. Work through this. Let me work on you. Let me grow you in this area. Be challenged by this. But know I'm your Savior. I'm your God. Nothing you can do will lessen my love for you. It's the message. No matter what, no matter what, God's grace and his love is 100% ready to embrace us at any moment. So here's the deal. In a few weeks, we're going to open the doors to our, our property on um, Flat Rock Road, just down the road from us for Easter. And I just wanted to end today with sort of a promise to you. You know, we're, we're kind of rallying the, 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 the troops here and beating the drums and throwing the banners up, Easter, you know, rah, rah. But I want to make, I'm, I'm making you a promise. We're, we're going to do everything humanly possible to put our best foot forward out for you, especially if you're new, you're a guest, you're checking out the claims of Christ, and some of you that are regulars around here, you're guests. And there's two, two goals we have in this. One, that you and your guests, that they would want to just come back. Period. No questions asked. We want them to feel accepted and know that there's a God who loves them. Whether they buy into it or not, we want them to feel just, wow. Those people aren't all that weird. And this was a great experience. Man, they rolled out the red carpet for me. That's one. Second thing is we know some, many people, they're going to come back to God on that day. On any given moment. Perhaps on Easter. They're going to be, we, we pray for, praying for hundreds of people. They would bow the knee and found, find salvation in Jesus on that Sunday. We believe that's going to happen. We're praying for it. I'm expecting that to happen. But I'm making you the promise. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work very hard. And if you bring a guest, we won't let you down. Okay? We're going to be relevant. We're going to be pertinent. We're going we're gonna to work things in, in, a, in, a, in a creative way to where we won't embarrass you. And I'm gonna, we're going to do our very best to, to, to make that promise come true, okay? So I want to encourage you, bring a guest. And know, like today, the message of come back to, to God will be the same message on Easter. Why? Because in the grand, big scheme of life, is there anything other that you could pin your hope to? Other than Jesus. Anything else? Raise your hand if anything else is really working for you out there. Anything working? Jesus is it. 
He's the answer for life's biggest issues. Pain, sorrow, death. That's it. Jesus. He's our hope. It's it. Jesus is everything. So my hope today for you, if this is new for you, that maybe today you would just physically or emotionally or mentally bow the knee. Say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm, I'm giving you my life today. I need you. I need a Savior. I need, I need to be forgiven of my junk. I want to be made right with God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to be the leader and forgiver of my life today. In just a moment, I'm going to invite our, our band to come up and we're going to pray. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to do that, okay? Encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. God, we love you. And I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for um, undeserved grace. Undeserved grace. Undeserved, God. Thank you for giving your love, unconditional love to us. Um, And God, we just ask in this moment, um, if there be anybody here that would say, I need Jesus today, that just in this moment, they would just cry out to you and just say, God, um, I ask you to be my Savior today. Jesus, what you did on the cross, giving your life, I want it to count for me. The sins that you took away from the world, God, I want that to, to be counted for mine. And so, Lord, I want you to be the leader and forgiver of my life today. And I believe there's people here in this room that are, that are making that declaration of their life today. And I pray that you would change the trajectory of their life. And in this moment today, you'd powerfully intervene and lead people back to you. We love you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.